to the EV Mavericks podcast, uh, a show about the decentralized Ethereum Web3 ecosystem brought to you by the mainnet DAO community. We're thrilled to have you with us. Absolutely none of this is financial advice. Mainnet DAO and EV Mavericks originated in the ETH Finance subreddit community. We're dedicated to public goods and education within the decentralized Ethereum Web3 space. At some point during this podcast, we'll record who's in the audience and you'll get a pull-out for attending. If you want to discuss with the audience in chat, um, here in Discord, there's an EV Mavericks podcast thread in the public cat channel. Um, hosting tonight is JT Nickel, um, famed ETH Finance moderator and barbecue master extraordinaire. <laughs> Featured guest is David Hoffman, host and co-owner of Bankless, author of the Triple Point Asset Thesis and Crypto Class of 2017. Go away, JT. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good to see you. Good to see you. JT from ETH Finance with one of my good friends. Mr. David Hoffman from Bankless. So before we begin, I want to give you a little bit of a technical thing here to think about. We have, we have a couple of things going on here. David and I are in a Zoom meeting, and our mics are muted, but we are also sitting on stage in Discord together. So if you're a member of the Discord audience listening uh, from the audience on the stage, and you join the conversation, make sure that you mute yourself on YouTube. Does that make sense? So we, you don't hear the delay. There's a bit of a delay. Otherwise, everybody else at home just watching this from YouTube, uh, we have a really special thing going on in eFinance, and I hope that this stream works out. So we got the Discord stage. We've got a Zoom call feeding OBS and streaming to YouTube. And there was about 30 of us Mavericks in here earlier today trying to figure out how to make this whole thing work. We've also got some other guests that may be joining the Zoom call throughout the hour. Uh, we're only going to keep this at about an hour. And this is what we like to call episode one. And it features Mr. David Hoffman. So everybody give him a big round of applause. Great to have you, sir. Great to have I you. that too. <laughs> a little background on the Mavericks. You're one of them. I'm one of them. The Mavericks uh, are, it was an NFT uh, collection put together by Ether Raider some weeks ago, where he, and I believe it was bad, another user named Bad Investment, went through several months worth of daily threads on ETH Finance. And they calculated how many comments people made, the amount of upvotes. I mean, it was a pretty rigorous, time-consuming thing. Raider put some artwork together. They produced the NFTs, and it only cost the gas to mint them. And we had a couple of days of some brouhaha about how this whole project and what its focus is and where do we go from here. And so Interweaver or anybody else that wants to jump up on stage and wants to talk a little bit about the public goods, the ideas about that, and then we'll get into David Hoffman and uh, you know discuss a little bit about the journeys of several people uh, over time through Reddit. So Interweaver, I don't know if you want to give some background history or if anybody else wants to jump on stage, we can move them up on stage and they can handle that. Or I could give a little bit of background. Um... I mean, everyone in, in the ETH finance community is pretty familiar with uh, public goods, the concept of public goods, um, basically things that are intended to benefit everybody. They're open source. They're um, pretty much developed by the community to, to benefit everybody and are not you know, sort of incentivized by, by making money. They're incentivized more to just help everybody. And it's really a core part of the Ethereum ethos, I think, um, and just super important to sort of what we're trying to do and how we're trying to change the world with, with this new technology. Um, and not not every project in crypto is is public goods for facing. So so it's you know really important for us to support that and and provide funding to that so that we can really maximize our our changing the world. Yeah, absolutely. And and David, uh, I want to pivot to you. So you and I had met years ago on ETH Trader. Can you know? And in, in in these crypto interviews, it always comes up first. Like, how did you get into Bitcoin? I want to know how did you find Reddit, and what what was the big takeaway that kept you in that ecosystem for so long before branching out? Uh, how did I find Reddit, or how did I find the Ethereum community in Reddit? There you go. Both. Yeah. Both. So yeah. I found Reddit uh, uh, in college, freshman year, uh, and of course, my grades suffered as a result, probably. Um, <laughs> And I was just really, there was a few properties of Reddit that were really interesting to me, really compelling to me. It's very much the complexity at the margins uh, paradigm of Reddit, where 
uh, for, uh, unlike Dig, which is Dig is very much like Reddit, but there's just one page, right? So there's one shared communities page, which inspired a lot of people. It's like, hey, we can own this. Like, this is our real estate. We can make what shows up on Dig. But like that, in addition to like all these different communities, right? And so every single subreddit is like a little fractal off of its own uh, community, right? Uh, and so if there's if there is something that people share, there's a subreddit about that. Uh, and seeing the different, I was I was a uh, studying psychology at the time, so seeing like the different personality dispositions of the shared community was really interesting to me. Uh, and just seeing how different behaviors manifested online by these like shared memes and shared cultural icons, and the the more niche the community and the more like um, smaller it was, rather than like the, the big ones like our picks or whatever. Like our picks isn't a community, for example. Uh, but like the smaller ones were really, really interesting. Uh, and I just liked watching like the quirks of like these online communities just manifest. Uh, and that's also where I discovered like memes and meme culture and memes for the very similar reasons also like really, really, um, uh, I thought fascinating as just like a psychological like thought experiment is like, why are memes a thing on the internet? Um, but also I got into Ethereum because of Reddit as well. Um, and so during 2017, our gaming was like, yo, why who why are all my all, all our GPUs so high priced? What the hell are all these miners doing to our GPUs? And I'm like, wait, wait a second, I have a GPU. Like, <laughs> why who, who who are these mining people? What are they doing with them? And like, what can I do that? Uh, and answering the question of can I do whatever the miners are doing led me to mining Ethereum, which led me to doubling down on a GPU rig, which led me to having to understand what Ethereum is, which led me to where I am here today. Did you find uh, did you find eTrader e and uh, what was it ETH mining the mm -hmm. ETH mining oh, yeah ETH mining I think was the subreddit at the time yeah you remember you Mr Yukon C he yeah, was man. he was the guy that was I give him all the credit in the world to helping me and my brother figure out how to mine and everything uh, were you ever on Bitcoin Talk before Reddit. I was not on Bitcoin talk. No, it was, it was straight. It was uh, straight into Ethereum. I like skipped over Bitcoin and just went straight to Ethereum via, via Reddit. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was one of those deals. Like uh, when I was on Bitcoin talk and I was doing this thing called team speak with other people talking about Bitcoin stuff. And then I found Reddit and I just, the community in the Ethereum world was so much less toxic. I felt, and it was just such a natural, you know, natural home. And I was, and then my journey was, you know, I just, I just fell in love with the, how silly things could be sometimes. I mean, we knew this was a very early, very difficult technology. And so I want to fast forward then from eTrader. Well, well, let me ask you again on eTrader. What was like one of the most memorable things you remember, like you came across on Reddit that, that, that was happening on eTrader or, or if, if it was memorable moving on into eFinance, any any memories stand out to you at all? Yeah, it's something you said I thought uh, stood out to me was all these um, uh, quirky communities and like especially with the, the, the ETH finance community and the ETH trader communities is uh, when we crossed uh, crypto assets with like already insular communities, uh, like that was one of the first like aha moments I had is like, oh, like this whole quirky thing about Reddit where communities have like expression in their own corner of subreddit because that's their like their real estate. Like uh, our climbing, for example, uh, is like something I go to every now and then for that. So the, the rock climbers like corner of Reddit. But I, I realized that like, okay, once we have Ethereum and we have like, we have our ETH trader, there's like a specific culture around this like financial asset. And so like people participate in our climbing because they are intrinsically like passionate about rock climbing, but like people will engage way harder as soon as we inject like uh, assets into these communities and have communities based on assets. And so you could just notice that with like how strong the memes and the, and the, uh, the, the meme, like each trader, I won't give too much credit for because it was a really product of the 2017 bull market. So there wasn't like a lot of like community and culture there. The true, the true community there, which is ultimately the, the part of the community that forked off into our ETH finance, right? But they just got drowned out by like the moon boys and like the memers, but it was still like fun to watch, right? Um, yeah, yeah, real and, noisy. Super noisy, yeah. I think the thing that stood out to me the most was that like Vitalik never participated in EthTrader, but he had, was on our Ethereum. Uh, mm -hmm. And so like Vitalik, like posting our Ethereum posts, like, I mean, it just seemed like, oh, clearly this is the right place to be. Uh, and like EthTrader seemed like our Ethereum's like degenerate, like shadow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that <laughs> and was, it was necessary too. 
mm-hmm. right? You yeah. had you had these things called tokens. <laughs> yeah. So right. All these different communities were just like rolled up in that big umbrella. The I want to talk a little bit about the split from ETH Trader to ETH Finance. You know that that it still blows me away how in the middle of a bear market we were able to leave ETH Trader. The mods we we really thought, hey, we'd be fine if like a couple hundred people came over. We didn't want to blow up stuff too much, but we just didn't like the way things were going with community points and whatever. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like there was like 10,000 people that moved in 48 hours, even though there was only like it was crazy, man, or 500 comments in the daily because it was a bear market. And that told me what what you see in the daily is literally the tip of an iceberg of who's actually there. Like it's I think it's some people's daily newspaper. We just don't have a lot of journalists there every day. Does that make sense? So yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people who like open up their phone and the first thing they do is they open up the daily and then they like scroll. Like that, that, that used to be what I would do during, during the 2017-18 like era. I used to think it wasn't healthy to check the price, yeah. to check the daily, <laughs> but now it's very cathartic and normal. And, and you know, we, we, try to, we try to have fun. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking at a thread here. I'm going to pop this over here so people at home on YouTube can see we have the ETH Finance, uh, kind of the AMA uh, thread with you. And there was a question I saw in here that was like, who, who is your favorite ETH Finance community member like, that you have found either a long time ago or ETH Trader or today? You know, is, who's, who stands out and resonates to you when you think about them that I remember them from Reddit way back when? Yeah, that's actually kind of, it's going to take me a second to think of those people because those people have just kind of melded into like my current people that I talk to. Uh, and a, a lot of them came with me to like the, the Twitter. So I ended up doing like being the part of the, the community that ultimately migrated off of Reddit into, into Twitter as like my primary domain. Um, it would be like a nice blast of the past to like go and scroll through some 2017, 2018 comments and just like see who I was talking to. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure I remember Superfizz's name. Uh, if I, my memory memory stands out, um, uh, I definitely remember um, Yukon, of course, of course. Uh, it, but but uh, beyond that, it's like I know, like I would see Sazzle there every now and then. But like the people that I'm naming are just like the people that I kind of like I know today. But have to be a, a. I'd have to actually go back and look at my history. Yeah. No, that those are names that stand out for me. DC Investor. Oh, he, of course, of course, DC Investor. He obviously. was kind of like the he was kind of like the Moses that parted the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we were leaving ETH Trader, I remember just calling him on the phone, and I was like, "This is happening, man." He's like, "It was just crazy because he had the ETH Finance subreddit handle like months before, and he's like, just take this one, use this if you guys want to go.'" And he was he was very helpful when it came to just coordinating. Mm-hmm. The move and the effort. It also was like a, a nice like rite of passage for the community, right? Going from ETH Trader to ETH Finance, going from the 2017 bull to the 2020 bull is like mm-hmm. Ethereum was super immature, and so was the community at the time. It's like it also Ethereum was never about trading; it was always about finance. Uh, and so it, it was nice to see like a culling of the herd of the of the Moon Boy 2017 culture, and then that being rotated into ETH Finance. It felt like a community like ceremony upgrade. Yeah, and it was a, it was a community that didn't divide. It was just multiplying, and it's just a different kind of ethos, you know. Kind of like some people like really noisy, you know, Poloniex troll box type of stuff. And I and I'll hand it to the mods on ETH Trader. It's it's rocking and rolling. They've they they've got the donuts thing going, and that's great. Um, it just wasn't for us at the time, but you know, here we are. And I was going to see if there's anybody on the, that wants to get on stage and, and chime in here or tell their story, because, you know, at the end of the at the end of the, the deal here, this is not just about me. Yeah, we're we're talking with Mr. Hoffman here. Thank goodness he came out. But if uh, they, we could go through some of these posts that in this thread, because there was quite a few really encouraging things. Um, I'm actually sharing this on YouTube right now. The the very top one got a gold sticker. I'm uh, in a pla- man. They got a big old award. Um, is that a 
that's a big gift. That's probably super fizz handing that out. <laughs> but it's user I'm a granny. My son started investing in crypto in 2014. And over the next year, he encouraged me to learn more about it. I didn't take much interest, but his passion only increased when his interest moved from BTC to Ethereum in late 2015. Damn, that's about time I was in there. Good timing. Yeah, dang. Vitalik's intertwined vision of tech, economics, and social equity amazed me. After many hours of reading articles and ETH Trader, I took the plunge and I invested a small amount in June 2016. Granny got in early. Good for her. My son <laughs> walked me through what a DOA was, maybe DCA. Uh, and I wanted to be part of the experiment, so on and so forth. Oh, the donut discord unfolded. Okay. They're talking about ETH Trader there. DC Investor got a shout out, helped me understand the similarities and differences between the existing markets and what was emerging in crypto. I appreciate all the, quote, gentlemen who mostly stayed away from the obnoxious memes of the other crypto subs. As someone who has very limited uh, tech skills, my dream Ethereum project would be for someone to assemble and have a plug-and-play validator rig. Is that, that's a thing, isn't it? It's getting close anyway. We're, we're uh, getting there. I, by 2037, man, it's, it's, we're going to be there. That's super oh fizz talking. Hold my breath. Super fizz. Do you want to? Uh, you want to weigh in here, Paul? Do you want no, to weigh in? I just. I love the poster reading. Like I. I was trying to find it now, and I. I can't find it. But that. That post just blew me away. It seemed so authentic. Like, um, you know, we we have this idea of of what ETH financiers look like, um, and. <laughs> we always imagine they look like us. And so it's so, it's so awesome to see uh, someone who is just 180 degrees out from who we are sharing their experience. And that post just uh, really got me in, in the feelings. So we, we can confirm that was you that did the, uh, the, the major award there. <laughs> it was worth it. Yeah. I would do it again too. You, I know you would, as you have so many times. Paul, how about you, my man? This is Paul Brody from Ernst & Young. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me this time? I think you can. I'm yes, I can. Sorry for my technical difficulties before. I just wanted to chime in. Like, you know, JT, you were sort of, sort of talking about how wonderful and, like, non-toxic the environment is on uh, Reddit and the ETH Finance Forum. But I really have to point out, you're very, very modest. Like... It's non-toxic because of the moderators, right? That's the, the secret sauce of, the, of why ETH Finance is good and the secret sauce of why I got into Reddit in the first place was you can ask really smart people really smart questions and they, you get back really, really good answers in a non-toxic environment. And it's very, it's very specific to the forum and it's because of the form that you make. And then since I've got Mr. Hoffman and Superfizz on the line, I would just say, Superfizz, thank you for your really awesome video. And Mr. Hoffman, I really, really thank you for the shout out and also just really enjoy uh, your podcast the other day. It was excellent. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I, uh, <laughs> I watched that video back and I'm like, man, I wish that I had combed my hair. Next time, <laughs> next time I'm going to comb my hair. You got that for me. Okay, that is that is good to know. I think everybody needs to be able to improve from time to time. <laughs> All of you guys talking about hair. I love it. I'm just like sitting over here with a hat on for a reason. Uh, this is uh, so, David, I'm going to pivot back to you. I got two of me on the screen. Let me blank one of these out here. Okay. Um, so you just did an, an AMA with Lyra. And we're gonna we're we're gonna do an AMA with Lyra as well. So I think what I'm gonna do is have that team like refer have the community refer back to the the Bankless podcast because that was pretty incredible. Um, I want to ask you now about Bankless. So you had this Reddit journey, which has then kind of migrated to Twitter. Mm -hmm. I've noticed you coming back to Reddit a little bit more recently. But before we get into that. When was the aha moment for you and Ryan Sean Adams? And when did it all come together that you were going to get this thing off the launch pad and stick with it? Because that is the most difficult thing in any uh, blossomy industry or new device on a market or whatever is to have the follow through and the network to build that network effect that you two have done. 
So when was the aha moment? And when was the 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 most um, when did you have the most like calm knowing that the the boat was now at sale and we were going to make it? Yeah, uh, so there there's actually this a DM between me, Ryan, and Tom from Delphi uh, that was in something like 2019. It was after I th I think when I can't remember what the context was, but maybe I had Ryan as a guest on my podcast, my previous podcast I had called POV Crypto. Um, and sorry, what was the name? POV Crypto. Remember oh, POV? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, um, and uh, he just like put us in a group DM between. He's like, "Hey, you guys should work together." Uh, and that was like well before we yeah, started anything. Um, what year Ryan was that? Started... Sorry. What year was that? That was in 2019, I think. Yeah, 2019. Um, at the very beginning of 2019, and so like I had my Medium account, and I had a pretty big like readership following during the bear market that I had accrued from like a lot of my early. Uh, early articles, um, and so I, I had my own independent like following there because I was just you know writing new stuff and just putting it on Medium for free, and people would just like follow me there. Oh, uh, I also had my own podcast, POV Crypto, which had hit its own following, uh, and then Ryan started the Bankless newsletter, uh, and so like Ryan and I were becoming more and more aligned over time. We were just like I found we found each other on Twitter, uh, started engaging with each other's tweets more, started like chatting a little bit in DMs more. Uh, and then he made the newsletter and I was like, oh, great. Like that's gonna, I can use that for distribution. Uh, so I can distribute my articles that way. Uh, and so like we had this like handshake agreement um, where um, you know, I would just like release my, my stuff on his newsletter for, for some money. Uh, and that was like my part-time, like I had a crypto job at the time, but like that was really where my passion lied was like articles, content creation, uh, and just like engaging with the community, right? Uh, and so, after I started writing, like basically committing all my uh, articles to the Bankless newsletter, uh, I was DMing Ryan. I was like, Ryan, uh, you should start the Bankless podcast. Uh, and I was like, and I was just pestering him for months. I was like, why haven't you started the Bankless podcast? You need to start the Bankless podcast. Uh, and for, like, he was like, no, that's a bad idea. Like, like I don't want to do that. It sounds like a lot of work. Uh, and at some point in time, I was like, all right, Ryan, like this is ridiculous. Uh, you don't know what you're missing. Uh, we will start the Bankless podcast. You just show up. I'll do all the editing, and then uh, we'll get the bank. We'll get the podcast out the door this way. Uh, and so that finally compelled him. That was like after like six months of pestering him. Uh, and so the first podcast went out in February of 2020, right before COVID. Uh, and so that's when the podcast started uh, with episode number one. Uh, and we immediately had like a successful podcast. Like uh, it took it took over a year i think for pov crypto to get like a thousand downloads uh of an episode but episode number one at bankless like just blew my expectations it was something like 1500 uh, downloads on on for the first episode uh which was it's a great foundation right uh and so it was just a convergence of my communities that i had generated from my medium account and the uh, following that ryan had got with uh, his uh, the bankless newsletter uh and so now we have the Bankless podcast to go with the newsletter and these things like just really cross pollinated very very well uh, and so we started that in February 2020, and in September of 2020, we were like, okay, this is going well. Uh, we should turn this into a company. Uh, and so we turned it into a company in September. Uh, and there was not really any ever moment, any like moment where I didn't think that this would work. Um, it was just about the timing. Uh, and so at some point, like my time at that, I was working at this like tokenized real estate startup, uh, and just like I had felt like I had successfully elevated that to the point beyond where like I was actually helpful. Uh, I'm not very like a good like C. I was like the COO, but I basically did everything. Um, uh, realty, wasn't it? Real, realty, yeah. Uh, and so it was just felt it was just like the time was right. And so uh, I uh, left realty and and started with Bankless um, in September 2020, and then it's been uh, uphill up only ever since. And I, you know, it's funny how crypto time does this to the brain. If you had asked me how old the Bankless podcast was, I would have thought three or four years, but it's really, it was incorporated. Did you say at the end of 2020? Bankless LLC was uh, incorporated in September of 2020. Oh my gosh. Well, you're not even two years old. Yeah, that's crazy, right? I remember, well, and remember you are the first episode of Bankless and I was like, you know, it's good, but it's for new people. And I, I don't know if it's going to offer me much. And so I like tuned out for probably like three or four months. And then I came back and I was like, holy crap, this thing has exploded. It's huge now. So I was really impressed with that quick growth. 
It's that the market really needed it, man. Like there was no significant media entity that was like doing things with like integrity. And so there's a complete supply glut of just like baking down complicated subjects for newbies in ways that also doesn't come with like us pumping our bags. Uh, I mean, only in bags we pump is ETH, right? Because ETH actually embodies the values of crypto. Uh, and so like it, it, was, it was so easy. It was like, why hasn't anyone done this yet? Like where's the media org that runs on legitimacy, that runs on authenticity and doesn't dump on their community? Like the the fact, like every other media org always was about dumping on people's communities in 2017. So like in hindsight, it was like so obvious. You know, this was an unintended benefit of the of the pandemic, if you can call it a benefit. But it really was, is it it drove people to find new ways of doing things and try to find answers and things or get into a hobby. You know, we, especially with the lockdowns, I can only imagine when you had everybody kind of stuck at home, looking for something to do. They reached the end of Netflix. Now they need to find something else. And then they stumble into the rabbit hole of crypto. And it was just kind of a natural fit probably for, for a lot of people to take on and do something in that Avenue. I, you know, going back to Paul Brody for me, why that was here was he had in-person conferences. They had their blockchain meetups every year and 300 people would go to, you know, London or New York. Then they had to go online. And then they asked me on ETH Finance if I would help like, hey, we're going to do a virtual thing. It's free. It's free workshops, all this stuff. We can't do an in-person thing. Too bad. So sad. Let's try to do something virtual and at least get something out there. And they had something like instead of 300 people in person, they had like over 10,000 people tuned in to all the various streams. People were thirsty for knowledge. They, you know, and it was just, it was kind of the unintended benefit. And I have to think that this has really kind of helped catapult in many ways, uh, the, the launch and the success of Bankless. And it really is something that people, I see it cited as a, as a source over and over and over. I mean, I, you you were telling you were telling Ryan Sean Adams you need to do the podcast and his first response and it ended up being six months was it's gonna be a lot of work. <laughs> you damn right it's gonna be a lot of work. Am I wrong? I mean, how many hours oh, yeah. a day with the plant like how many employees do you have now? We're actually hiring like crazy for the first time. We've kept it really, really tight. And because we like, we don't really want to be like massive, like see, we don't want to be like big CEO type of a big company, right? Like we, we have for the ratio of uh, team members to output, I think like Bankless is like in the top 0.1% of just like how much we're able to produce with how tight of a team we have. And so it's really, like really super immaculate. Uh, and so like the, the team is so good. Um, and we couldn't really do it. We couldn't do anything without them. Like the reason why we have like so much content is because we have a fantastic team. Uh, and so we, we have, uh, I would say, I think, uh, I can't, I don't really, I should count these things, but like for some reason, neither Ryan or I do. Um, it's something like, um, 10 or, or 11 employees, um, of varying capacity, um, between part-time and full-time and then a bunch of contractors too. Uh, and so like we have a, an ad agency, for example, uh, and SEO stuff, um, like clips, which are third parties and like other third party contractors, like the total, the total like number of people that put hours into bankless on a weekly basis are like 18 people maybe, but then we got like 10 to 12, like full-time people who are wearing the bankless hat. And when it rains, it pours. Cause I'm sure your schedule's like an accordion. Sometimes it's spread out and then other times it's just conference, conference, conference. I mean, you were doing man on the street interviews or woman on the street. Sorry, no offense uh at the east denver and i just wanted to come up and say hi and give you a big hug and then you interviewed me and i didn't feel like i, I was standing next to kevin owaki from gitcoin i'm thinking to myself like i get to be interviewed after kevin owaki you yeah. know i was like i don't i was just so humbled by that and it was really nice to finally meet you in person at east denver and and but of course you're working you know just the grind you know it's it's so inspirational and I mean, you know, people, people take a look and they, you know, I'm sure they assume things or whatever, but I'm, I'm sure you have days that are 16 hours long, you know, where you're just, just on the computer. You've always got to have content. You got to, you got to dive into the next rabbit hole to come up with t content, you know, 
that's a that's a lot of work, man. So yeah, congrats to you and, and Ryan, Sean, Adams for sure. So you gotta tell me about the merge when you two met. So we first time this last permissionless in Palm Beach. Uh and, and of course, like I've in the since uh ETCC last year, uh, which is what Paul Birdie is referencing in the chat where I decided to bring my iMac to 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 do work. Uh uh I've been just been going to all the conferences, right? Like uh, NFT NYC, ECC, um, uh, like uh, DevConnect, uh, all these all these conferences. Can't even remember all of them. Um, uh, and like Ryan hasn't gone to any of them. Uh, and so like the joke started like manifesting of like Ryan's just like this AI bot, just because like the way his room set up, he's like positioned in front of this armchair. Like he's got like fantastic skin. And so he's just like, oh well, he could be an AI. Uh, <laughs> he says your name like he's the computer off of the what's the you know, sci-fi. What about that, David? <laughs> right, right. right. Um, you think about this, David? I always love it when he says your name because it reminds me of Hal Hal Nine Thousand. Right, 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 of course, of course. Yeah. So, was, um, but we we actually made a partnership with Blockworks so that it turns out into permissionless is actually like a bankless conference, uh, so you can't not go to that. Uh, and so yeah. we got this hotel. Uh, not a hotel, uh, Airbnb that could house uh, the entire Bankless team. And so, like, not only was it uh, us meeting Ryan for the first time, but it was also the first time that the entire Bankless team uh, oh. got to be in the same spot together. Uh, and so I, I arrived there, and, and Luke and Lucas from the Bankless team were caught a day early. And so Ryan, like, showed up the, the next day. Uh, and, like, he knocked on the door, and he told us he, he was coming, so he knew it was going to be him. And so, like, Luke, the uh, film guy, who's, uh, he's filming me as I'm running around all these conferences, pulls out the camera, and we, like, record it and record it live. He does a good job. So, it's a great job. Uh, so Ryan, me, me, Ryan, open the door. Ryan goes, uh, is this bank is headquarters? I'm like, uh, you know, give him a big hug. Uh, and then and then there's like, you know, the, the Finding Nemo, like, now what meme? It was definitely yeah. a little bit of that. So it's like, it actually was. Like, there was like, a, like an awkwardness awkward, in the like, like, oh, shit. Like, now we're in real life. Well, it's uh, like, I always joke that if we, uh, if I finally met some of you guys in real life, you know, we would have a hard time figuring out how to have a conversation because we've always known each other on the opposite end of, of lenses over the years. Um, so did you guys take the whole Bankless team out for Applebee's or celebrate in a big way? Maybe go to Chili's, TGI Fridays? Did you? We uh, we missed um, one having one big thing as a bankless squad without other people, uh, so we didn't do that. We just didn't have enough time. But we did have we did throw a party uh, with Optimism uh, Wednesday night, and so the entire bankless squad was there at that party. Um, wow. But it was like we were mixed in with like a, a, like two hundred other people as well. So we sat we we forgot to get a, a team photo, dude. It was really bad. <laughs> So what's uh, what's next? I mean, I you, I don't know if you have any alpha or anything. Like, are you guys just in cruise control mode? You've got you've got no. your you got your dozen people. You're flying. You're you're rocking and rolling. Are you going to stay the course? I know you named a you named a sports center, right? Is it the home of the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers? So yeah, the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. Tell us tell us how that happened. Well, you know that was an April Fool's joke, right? No. Yeah, that was an April Fool's joke. Yeah, the, the April Fool's joke was that we spent $420 million to name uh, the... $420 I should have known. Yeah, you should have known with that one. Yeah. I mean, Bankless is a decently profitable company, but like we're still not, we're still a long way away from $420 million, JT. Yeah, I understand. You can see why I've been hacked so many times. I'm, <laughs> I'm very gullible. I'm very gullible. I actually glossed over it, but I'm like, my uh, my honest reaction was, I was reading it, and I'm like, well, that doesn't surprise me. Of course they did. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, but, a member of my my close friends like also fell for it. And like at some point, I was like, well, I'm just flattered that you guys think I have $420 million yeah. to spare. <laughs> thought maybe the Dow token like went, went off the charts or something. I, I'm honest, man. David, like David didn't say he didn't have $420 million. He said, I don't have $420 million to spare. <laughs> You, that's that see this is why i believe I'll, these things i'll, I'll <laughs> leave myself in the fog of war with that one it was it was really it was really a well-played story because part of me i really did believe it you know why not because it just wouldn't surprise me this is the trajectory you're on yeah i mean you did just incorporate two years ago but you know what so did Uniswap, and they got billions of dollars through trades, and that's a 12-person team, right? You know, 
<laughs> but we're also not a DeFi protocol, JT. We're not. We don't have. We, no, we, the way that we say it is we don't have protocol money. Not with that attitude, you will someday. Yeah, we've also never raised, uh, so there's that. Yeah. 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 Is there anybody in the audience who wants to jump on stage? Got anything they want to share? We're just kind of slapping the jaws around up here. So we've got quite a few people in the audience. I don't see any hands raised, or I do. Somebody got their hand up. Oh, here we go. Is that Logic Beach? Yeah, yeah. Um, So long-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, (laughs) I was thinking um, when I got started in crypto – I was pretty hardcore into it and then I got burned out. And then around the time the Bankless podcast started, you guys started doing a Friday roll-up podcast. And (laughs) I got to say, that's really what kept me going because I wear a lot of hats. Not all of them are crypto. So being able to just tune in once a week and get like the total like firehose dose of everything that happened that last week was immensely useful. And (laughs) I'd say it got me pretty well connected just to stuff that I was interested in 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 the space and i think it was probably a catalyst that got me where i am now which is i work in this space full time and i don't know yeah i just wanted to say thank you for doing the friday roll-ups for real oh cheers logic yeah we we call people like you that only listen to the weekly roll-up the maintenance mode people and so i'm like yeah like we, we call bankless like a program right kind of go through the program but like once you get it like you just listen to the weekly roll up and you just like like run and maintain your understanding. Uh, so hey, thanks for the kind words, my man. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, that is kind of what I do. It's, it is definitely a maintaining thing. Yeah, cheers. That's uh that's Logic Beach. Uh, he's actually a fellow um, employee at Grid Plus. He's a great, great artist too, by the way. If you, and he's a great musician. Dude is uh, multi talented. He did. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of alpha on, on this guy. He did the artwork for something that's called the Beach Bums, the Beach Bum NFTs, which is related to the HodlerCon uh, non-conference in Hawaii coming up in a couple of weeks. And they just dropped uh, today, in fact. So I think the Beach Bums are, you can if you own a ticket going to the event, it's just the gas to mint them. There's only going to be 500 of them produced. And I think they're on sale for maybe 0.1 ETH. Um, so the beach bums are going to be kind of fun uh, in the community of ETH finance because if you own a beach bum, you can take part in the voting process of where the next uh, conference is located. And I was joking, like this year's in Hawaii, and the, now we're in this bear market, and I was joking that maybe we should just do a float trip in the Ozarks in Missouri, and I'll just cook some barbecue to save money. <laughs> I'm, I'm buying was, all of these, all of these <laughs> NFTs, so I can really make it in the Ozarks just to mess with you. Superviz, can you fill can you fill us in a little bit more on the numbers of that? How many do you buy, by the way? I haven't even had a chance to go get one no, yet. Not, so yeah, I, <laughs> I I have been checking that contract every you know every day when I wake up, and so I found out this morning it was accessible, uh, and so I bought I minted ten of them just because <laughs> I, I want to make sure that that we go somewhere that I can end up um, next time. And I, you know, it's as a special place in my heart. I had that, the idea, you know, a couple of years ago and I, I don't want to let go of uh, my dream. You're going to, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. That was a, this was David. I don't know if you know this meme or not, but on ETH finance. Uh, so this was in the previous bear market. Super Fizz says that if we beat the previous all time high of whatever, $1,400 by such and such date that we were all going to, celebrate in hawaii and then it, mm-hmm. it happened <laughs> yeah. so, so, I, I, know, I know the story sadly i won't be able to come that's all right are you going to that's hilarious to me like, i'm not going either and it was like it kind of kills me like yes it's a great idea oh but i'm not going yeah, yeah <laughs> that's all right things happen you got you got your reasons we got we all got reasons man no big will deal. we be above that all-time high when you guys are actually in hawaii that's the We're question right. We're going to be actual beach bums panhandling to buy more ETH to get home. <laughs> oh, man. We got anybody else on stage? Don DeChaka, how's it going? Do you hey, want to? Okay. Go ahead. Hey, guys. I want to throw a couple of questions at you. Number one for David How do you make a good podcast? <laughs> because we're figuring this out on the fly as we go. And um, more generally, I just wanted to hear what everybody's interested in right now. 
Like, what are you looking at for 2022? The, for the podcast uh, thing, the, the quality of your podcast definitely goes up with the amount of prep that goes into them. Uh, and so like, it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but to, when you, when you say it out loud, but it's for some reason, so many podcasters just like start recording. Uh, and so for every single bankless podcast, uh, except for the layer zero episodes, which are my, my Rogan styled ones, which are explicitly the opposite of what I'm about to describe right now. There is like a, probably between a two to four page doc that goes with every single podcast. Uh, and it's just like a sketching out the agenda. Uh, it's not like it's a wall of text. It's just like, it's the, the best way to do a podcast is make a beginning, a middle of an, and an end. Um, the meme I like to say is like bankless tells stories. Uh, and so you need your podcast to have a story in it. Uh, and so humans, humans love stories. Uh, and so you need to make an agenda and plan your story and plan out the story that you want to tell uh, so that you can tell the story when it comes time down to it. Right. And so if you're really good at this, what Ryan and I have really, really mastered is to ask questions that guide the story. And so if you ask the right question in the right way at the right time, you produce a beginning and a middle of an end out of the content that comes out of the words of your guests. Uh, and so, um, and that's, that's what I would say about a podcast is uh, you can turn it into a story, have a good time with that story. Uh, but just ultimately you, you need to have like prep, prep to go into that to make sure that story gets told. So that's it with that. Anybody else? I'll follow up with that. Who do you listen to? Who inspired you to take this on and come up with the idea of a sequence and a structure. Was there anybody that stood out over the years that you really enjoyed their, their style of doing your craft? Hmm. Hmm. Um, I do have, uh, like Sam Harris got me into the world of podcasting. Like I, that's where I started listening to podcasts. Uh, and then, um, all of NPR's podcasts do this for the storytelling method very, very well. And like NPR taught me how to, uh, um, Kind of, kind of like t taught me like taught me all about like finance really like never took a single finance or econ or, or money class in in college and so in like 2016 to 2017 i was just consuming i literally went back when, when i realized how awesome the npr planet money podcast was uh i went back to episode like one which i realized they actually made the planet money podcast as because of this the chaos of the 2008 crisis uh and so like listening to the 2008 crisis like happen what felt like real time because I was going back in history to listen to episode one uh, during 2017. I was like, oh, this is kind of a trip. Uh, and so like then I literally went from like episode zero to where we, it is now like two, 2000 or whatever. Listen to every single one. And that's what really taught me about like money and finance outside of crypto. Um, and, that, and they do a really good job of turning everything into a story. Uh, and so every single NPR podcast is, is a story. They do a fantastic job. Uh, and so that taught me a lot. Also, um, in the crypto space, Anna Rose's uh, Zero Knowledge podcast, so good. She's such a good co-host. I have such like a co-host crush on her um, or a host crush on her. Um, uh, and like she's also just really good mic, uh, audio quality. Uh, so they, they, I, I like to say that Zero Knowledge actually is the best podcast in crypto. Um, it's just, it just doesn't get as much listens as Bankless does. Um, and it's because of like the way that she curates her, her conversation and curates her guests and also knows what the hell she's talking about with really deep cryptography stuff. Um, I kind of ran on there, but those are my no, that's, that. that's all really great stuff. I'm going to go back over to the Reddit thread. If you want to flip over there with me and I'm just going to go down, uh, I think these are all listed. They're sorted by yeah, top. So the next one that was a top was a write in questions. Who's your favorite? Okay. We did this. Um, who's your favorite ETH finance community member? And then new Tosh, the best alpha. Here we go. The best alpha ever from ETH Finance. I'm sure, I'm sure you would agree too. I don't know if you knew this or not, David, but Paulinaya on Twitter is Liberosist on Reddit. And I don't know if you ever read Liberosist on Reddit, but that person uh, was an instant rock star uh, over the last you know 18 months or so. And now still comes back every now and then, but moved on, you know, as many do to, uh, to Twitter. New Tosh says Liberosis had a mission. And for whatever reason, it started here on ETH finance, not on a blog that came later, not on Twitter that came later, 
by the time it hit bankless after six months, that whole topic was old news for us. And a little inside baseball for ETH Finance. I fed uh, Liberosis uh, articles to uh, bankless, uh, to David, actually, because I'm like, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. And I'm so glad it, that bankless was able to give uh, them some visibility. Um Saints Hams 86 for JT after listening to your story on the EY Global Blockchain Summit. I'm just so shocked at how positive you still are. How do you stay such a true believer? Uh mad respect. Uh you know, some of it is a self-blame, you know, as a victim, uh leaving my door open when I shouldn't have. Uh digitally speaking, but getting SIM swapped a couple of times, you know, that's really heinous. And I was mad at the hacker, but my real, my real struggle with uh, remaining kind of level-headed and calm uh, was when Open Platform, during their ICO, used a Bitcoin talk account of mine to operate and market their scam. And I had to I mean, that's like kicking a victim when they're already down and trying to steal more from them uh, by using their merit. Uh, my parents taught me, if at first you don't succeed, pray for the son of a bitch. And that's kind of where I leave it. Is uh, Like the guy that hacked me was 19 years old. He was one of probably many. I really don't want him to be in prison for 10 years because I think he's smart and he could offer the world a lot of good. And it's, I just, it's, it's unfortunate that I, I lost so much money, but, um, you know, I don't know. I just have more compassion for the human than that. Um, let's see what else we got here down. Um, I'll start by my, trying my best with format two writing consist concisely. Oh, so this is Don Chaki. You're on stage. Do you want to, do you want to go? Oh, you were on stage. You took off. Uh, it says, Write in a brief statement what that we will read aloud describing your origin stories. And he writes, if studies consistently show that hedge funds underperform the market, why should I do any better? <laughs> I thought, but noise about crypto was getting louder. So I bought a ledger in December 2020 to expand my passive exposure beyond the S&P 500. I sat on it until March before buying my first crypto. Bitcoin seemed okay. Suddenly, I was watching... Find Maddox's video about smart contracts. What? I took a dramatic fall down the ro the rabbit hole, and then it says crypto going from ETH trader to uh, ETH finance, and I found an oasis that quenched my thirst for thoughtful, major discussion. I converted to actively investing in my new belief of a technological revolution called decentralization. Finding ETH finance so early was luck and a rock that got me through the highs and lows of the past year because ETH Finance won't shut up about Rocket Pool. I found Z Zero's Rocket Pool investment thesis and ultimately attached my bags to, to Rocket Pool and its community, etc. Uh, Harry ZKE, my suggestion is keep this episode more about David. <laughs> David, we're going to keep it more about you, man. What do you I'm done for that. Where do you want it? Where do you want Ethereum to be? Where do you think? And this has nothing to do with price. Let's let's talk penetration. Let's say the merge is successful. Where do you think the penetration of Web three will be? Not in twenty twenty three, but let's look forward to like twenty twenty four, right? Because mm -hmm. we know that the merge probably needs to like settle in for six months or so. Where do you think? The, oh, I'm not necessarily convinced about that one. Oh, oh we're yeah. talking about price, though. Not, not, not the price. Okay. I'm thinking about the the tech, the technology penetration. Like, mm -hmm. do you see with a post successful merge, looking past six months on to a year, two years down the road, do you think that institutions are fully going to flip the switch and take advantage of it for all the reasons that we do now? Um, yes. And, and I, and I do think of, I mean, I'm obviously going to say yes to that question. <laughs> um, I, I do think that part of the whole narrative shift happens post-merge because, uh, 
as we all know, post-merge, Ethereum gets like uh, $30 million a day net increase in daily buy pressure. It goes from negative $15 million a day of selling to negative to positive $15, uh, $15 million a day of buying because of the reduction of issuance and also EIP-1559. So like the net effect of that is that is like, is if this invisible buyer is like buying $30 million of ETH a day. Uh, and so I think that manifests in the price charts like pretty damn quickly, not necessarily in the US dollar charts, but in the ETH versus Bitcoin charts and the ETH versus everything else. So Ethereum dominance really starts to go up. And I think because like no other L1 has this, this like this trick to uh, trick up its sleeve to like turn a bunch of buy pressure on. And so Ethereum, I think, is going to significantly decouple from every other crypto asset, and it's going to make Ethereum stand out above the rest much more than it already has. Like, and the rest of society, they come in and like, oh, Solana, it's proof of stake, and it has staking. And like Tezos, it's proof of stake, and it has staking. And Ethereum, it's like proof of work, but it's going to have staking. They can't differentiate between these things. But you know what they can differentiate between uh, JT is when one token price goes up a lot and it leaves all the other ones in the dust. Uh, and so then they're going to dive down the rabbit hole. They're going to understand like, oh, Ethereum is also now super green now. So that all that fuzz out the door. Uh, and, and at that point in time, we're going to probably have at least a few new things. Maybe it's a cool new like AAA game that has like crypto assets embedded in it. Or we have like a layer twos that are fully fledged and they have zero fees. So the fees FUD is quelmed. But it's basically it's basically narrative follows price. Right. And so. Uh, as soon as price does like starts to approach like the flipping where whenever that happens in 2024, like all of a sudden people are going to look towards the Ethereum ecosystem to as justifications for like why the price is doing that. And they're going to look at the layer twos and be like, well, the layer twos are bullish and also the merge is bullish. And also like Ethereum is getting adopted uh, in ways that no other chain is. Uh, and so like uh, it's just like the price is going to be this very legitimizing thing for institutions, for people that are still skeptical about uh, Ether and crypto at large. Uh, and so with the merge, post-merge, there's like so much like ammo that Ethereum has in its tool belt to like justify its existence to all the skeptics. Uh, and so that's what I'm, I'm ex excited for in 2024. And, and at that point in time, you just need like one or two or three like killer apps. Like maybe some DeFi game or something uh, to really just like rocket the whole narrative back into the bull market. And I, I tend to agree. I think the adoption and price are kind of they're kind of symbiotic, right? Like a very strong dollar or a very strong price of Ethereum is, you know, it adds to how robust the network is in some ways, I, I would assume. Um, my thought process on this is a post-successful merge, let that settle in for a couple of months, three months, maybe even mid, you know, 2023, my my thought process is I feel like there's a lot of institutions are wanting to take advantage of the layer twos and they'll fully adopt uh, some layer two technology as a cost saving mechanism to bypass using server farms for existing uh, traditional methods of calculating whatever it is they want to do, whether it's asset tracking or whatever. It's going to be all these really boring use cases that make uh, institutions really dogpile in to the technology stack added onto that, the green narrative, I think is such a big deal, uh, to in the public eye for these institutions to even touch crypto is that if, you know, with proof of stake being, you know, 99% less electricity and all that narrative, I think that really is going to embolden, uh, the, the asset to, to do what it needs to do, you know, price wise. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm the eternal bull, but I feel like I feel like the merge is the single biggest thing that has happened since Genesis. And I've it's the thing I've been waiting a long time for and and um it's taken a lot to get us here. And no one accounted for a pandemic or or a war. Uh I feel really happy about things and I I hats off hats off to the developers for doing all this amazing work despite how difficult it is to make this this machine just do what it does it's it's stunning and the community is so smart level-headed you know we don't you know we don't have a marketing uh group we don't have vcs running around pumping the project to dump on retail it's just never it's just not a thing you know the way you see with so many other things, I think you're right. I think it's going to be a, continue to be a runaway train. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Everything's going to get tested. Everything. And I think as time goes on, uh, you know, we're going to see nation state actors test this too. I mean, we saw what was it, North Korea went after uh, what chain was that recently? And Ronin. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we got five minutes left before we have to switch gears. And I know you're a busy guy. And I personally like thank you for helping us to kick this off. I may not be the host every time. This is uh, the the Mavericks Discord. These are the OGs. Uh, this incredible community of ETH Finance uh, legends that have uh, come in and made this thing possible. And and thanks to you know just thanks to the community for working through what was kind of a rocky start with the the, the Mavericks thing. But you know we're just. We're very grateful that you're here. If anybody's listening and you're going to Hawaii, we'll see you in Hawaii. Go get your your beach bum NFTs, David. I should, I should, uh, I should ask Super Fizz to buy you one and send it to you. He's he's got ten of them already. I haven't even. <laughs> Dude, I'm sending you one right now, Hoffman. I'm on it. Hey, no, man, what's your amazing. David Hoffman, brother. Uh, of course. <laughs> Super good hand claps for you. Okay, enough of that. All right. Uh, anybody else on the stage want to say anything? Hashtag Fuzzmaster, you're on stage. Last chances here if you want to jump in. Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks to everybody involved in this. Um, JT, David, Super Fizz, Interweaver. Um, I mean, there's a handful of guys I could mention, fellas. And yeah, I'm just really humbled and proud to be a part of this. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Anybody else real quick? Yeah, I've got a question real quick. Um, So I'm really excited about uh, the Ropston merge happening on June 8th. Yeah. Um, It's going to be really cool. I'm wondering, uh, David uh, and JT, uh, any any plans for, like, a merge live show or a merge event? And also, just kind of a follow-up, like, how closely do you think we'll actually know when the merge is going to happen? I've seen some chat about like, you know, being able to move it up if necessary. I'm wondering if you guys have any speculation on how closely we'll actually know when the event will occur. I'll defer to David on that. Yeah, we have a number of like tests that we have to get through. Uh, so like, I don't think there, there might not ever be a date. Uh, I'm pretty sure there won't be a date. I just think we kind of know like around the end of August sounds about right. And even when we know like, Hey, we're ready to merge. Like even then we actually won't know a date because it's, it doesn't it actually doesn't work at a um, block height. Um, I'm pretty sure this is all correct. Uh, so I think as we get closer to the end of August, we just are able to zero in on like a time window that gets more and more refined. Um, so I don't think we'll actually ever know a date, but like end of August seems to be consensus, but we do have to still get through the test first. This is actually something that uh, Fizz has been trying to get me to do a, a banquet live stream with one of the uh, testnet merges. Well, I actually don't. I actually don't get it. Why? Why would we live stream a testnet merge? Uh, I, mean, I, I think I'm missing actually, something because everyone is no, super no. stoked on it. We do it all the time, um, and they're they're pretty pretty well viewed. People really want right. to see the yep. testnets um, merge they, because for them, it's it's a sense of how close they are to uh, to mainnet, and so. Uh, you know, my intention is is really to to bring everyone in the whole Ethereum community together for the merge itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing there are you know three test nets and then the um, uh, the Bellatrix hard fork to the consensus layer, and so this is really five different events. And I thought you know it would be good good to give uh, hosts like uh, Bankless and Anthony Sassano and Ethereum Cat Herders and ETH Staker a chance to kind of do the ramp up and then have just mm. a big combined, like everyone together uh, for the final call. It's just an idea. Like I, I feel good about it, but uh, we can work it out. Yeah. The details of how this works. So it's like the, the test merges will actually happen at a specific time. Right. Um, uh, no, they're, they're no. still, they're still bound to TTD. Uh, as a matter uh, of fact, okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm, uh, someone mined the daylights out of Robston today and and ran TTD through, and uh, the the beacon chain for Robston hasn't even launched yet. So there was like the uh, the execution client is ready to merge, but it has nothing to merge to. So they've had to delay it. Uh, well, not not delay the the fork. It's it's still happening on June eighth, but they've had to uh, sort of change some variables. 
Uh, but yeah. we don't know exactly when they'll happen. They're the same as mainnet that uh, right. when when they get there, they'll get there. Yeah, it makes it hard to live stream with Bay. Like we might have like a podcast that we run into, so I'm a little bit worried about like having uh, that conflict. Okay. If you're, so, well, if you're so available, what, I'm sure Superfizz could give you the link. And I've seen Superfizz do these <laughs> these test net merges, and they're like at three in the morning. And he's yeah. got a crew of people from around the world tuning in. I mean, it's just the it's. I the, mean, they're not bankless numbers, but <laughs> for testnet, they're they're pretty legit. But, hey, would would you be down to do the uh, the merge itself with all of us? Yeah, totally, absolutely. Okay, okay. I, I didn't know where your hangup was, but I, I get that now. Like your your days are so scheduled tightly that you can't really just flex and do it whenever you right. want. Right, uh, that, yeah. That's the thing I, I didn't get before. He didn't yes. name no stadium based off of a test net merge. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, you know, that's, that's great. I, I can move forward with that plan. I, uh, I just didn't understand um, what we were dealing with. So I, I think we're mm -hmm. great now. Yeah. Appreciate it. Fizz. Anybody? No, I, appreciate you. Uh, I had a question that I do want to be respectful of you guys' time, um, but I'm, I'm a huge fan. Uh, of all you guys, um, but my question for you: I know the merge is supposed to make Ethereum green, but has uh, has Ethereum thought of going carbon negative? I know there's some alt layer ones that have accomplished it, but uh, I, I know you said public perception might change with Ethereum going green. But what are your thoughts on on it becoming carbon negative? Thank you. I think it depends on how it gets done, um, because the mechanism is a political choice, right? And so. It's a difference between what does it mean for Ethereum to go carbon negative? Like, does the EF uh, pay for carbon sequestering or like, how do we actually do that mechanism? So it really depends on, can we have this credibly neutral mechanism produce carbon negativity out of the Ethereum ecosystem? Uh, it's, it seems like it would be an app layer thing uh, rather than like a protocol thing, right? Uh, which means it's actually not technically about the protocol. It's more about the app layer. It's like this one app on Ethereum helps sequester carbon and go carbon negative. Um, it really depends on, like, I, I think it's a great narrative. And, like, I think that whole entire side of things of just, like, hey, there's regenerative finance. There's, like, these, the Klima Dow is, like, actually doing good stuff, like, where, where our finance is impacting the supply of carbon in the, in the air. Like, that is just, like, a good PR for the Ethereum app layer, which flows down to the Ethereum, Ethereum itself. But it's, like, one, an illustration of, like, many, many things that can be built in the app layer. Uh, and so I think it's just, like, these projects that do this sort of thing should compete on the app layer side of things. It's like, yo, we're the green project. You should come join us. And we're the ones sequestering those carbon. But I don't think it actually fits a, like a, an Ethereum like core protocol branding. If that makes sense. Thank you. Cheers. Anybody else? Last call. All right. Well, Thank you so much, David Hoffman. Oh, one last thing, eh? Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Things here with the Lyra as well. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I had uh, one thing to say. One was about the ETH finance community and also Bankless as just a great place for, like, lack of a better word, like normies, like people to come in. And, you know, there's a lot of scrutiny around uh, platforms. And uh, I think we recently saw how, how uh, like quick things can shift in this space when there isn't a lot of thought or um, I don't know what's the right word. But um, what I wanted to also ask uh, David was, what do you think about like the whole PVP kind of nature of the space? And maybe how do you contrast that to like the, the positive sum parts? Um, and like, yeah, I'm sure you you experienced the degen part of uh, of it, and kind of like how how do you personally, you know, put it together? Yeah, I was actually talking about this on the roll up today. Um, in bull markets, the products that are built are inherently like a little bit too self referential. Like the products that are built are like uh, how and it, it was true in the ICO mania. It was true with the NFT mania. Uh, it's true with the DeFi farm mania, like all markets top when all these things like loop too quickly. And what I mean by that is that uh, the ICOs got like more aggressive, more aggro. They, they try to establish themselves with the shelling point of like, hey, come deposit your money in here. Uh, because this is where like if you, and if you pick the right place to deposit your money, you, you win. You get, you get more money out on the other side. 
And that loop got faster and faster and faster as the, as the mania peaked and peaked and peaked, right? De the, like a new DeFi farm. The, DeFi, the peak of DeFi summer was when people weren't even bothering to spin up websites and they were just aping into contracts on Etherscan. Like the loop, the loop is going too fast at that point, guys. Uh, like we're creating more pro like products than are actually like sustainable. And we're only creating products because people are engaging in this behavior. Mm. Uh, and so, um, and so that, that is just like, that's the PVP where you're like, you got to gamble and you got to pick which part is like, which, which bucket to put your money in to get the most money out on the other side. And like, I'm not good at that game. I'm pretty shitty at that game. Uh, and so I, I play the game, which is like, what is going to be fundamentally true in the long term? And what is something that is more regenerative? And like the base game for that is like buying Ether. Because when Ether goes up, we have support of more of these games uh, in total. Uh, and so hopefully that answers your question. There's somebody who is outside of my apartment who's going to come buy the smoker off of me. So I got to go sell the smoker to them because I'm moving to Brooklyn. So thank you guys so much for hosting me. I'm so proud to be part of episode number one. Uh, and I got to run. So cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you, you so much. much. We'll see you later. Appreciate you. <laughs>